Hello and welcome to Catholic Parents Online, a podcast where we share tips and resources on Catholic parenting. This is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Parenting Team of the Apostolate for Catholic Truth. Presented with the lens of the Theology of the Body, we will see how we can be a sincere gift of ourselves to our kids, in ways that will help them find true happiness and flourish in accordance with God's wonderful plan for each and every one of them. My name is John Hui and I'm your host for this podcast. Today we continue with the fourth part of our series interviewing Mr. Brian Shen, a much sought-after speaker and counsellor. And today, he will be speaking on the role of religion and society in our development as human persons. Brian is a professional counsellor and supervisor registered with the Singapore Association for Counselling. He has much experience in working with clients both young and the not-so-young, including of course parents. He's also a member of the International Federation for Therapeutic Counseling and Choice. Hello, Brian, and welcome to the show. Hello, John. Thanks for having me here. Okay, so how are you today? Good. Thank you. Okay, that's great. So are we ready to start with this podcast on the role of religion and society now, development as human persons? Then let's go ahead. Okay, so today I would like to share a little bit about um, some of the cases I have uh, in which the clients are very stressed out and they are not able to be themselves. Now, many of these clients are actually very high-performing students, very high-performing adults. Um, but their high performance are actually coming from this fear of not being able to deliver, this fear of not being able to give the good results that is expected of them. When I asked them, um, have you always been like that? And they were said, well, actually, all throughout my life, I've been doing well in school. And when I asked them, you know, has there ever been times that you are stressed out? Uh, yeah, there's a few times when I felt that I would not be able to uh, meet the deadline or I felt that I would not be able to complete, that's when my stress uh, it really comes up. But other times, I'm fine. I said, other times you're fine, it doesn't mean that you're relaxed, you're actually working very hard. I said, yeah, I'm working very hard, but I can, I can cope with it. I can, you know, I, I can deal with it. So, sometimes when I ask about their parents, we can see that they also have the same trait. But there are some parents who never have the stress because they are always high performing. And the, parent, the children will say, you know, my dad is always on the ball. He's always, you know, really on the dot, everything. Or my mother, you know, she's really, really there, uh, really on top of everything. And we were just not allowed to drop the ball. But again, there are some parents uh, which the children will say, you know, my mother is always very, very hyper afraid, you know, and her, her emotions of being afraid of things going wrong is passed on to us. And so we all carry the same thing. So my point is, how is this passed on to society? And then a the little part of my talk, I will talk about how the church, uh, not just the church, but all religions can play a role in reducing this problem. So let me give you an example of this client that I have recently. He is considered one of the good 
um, employers in, in his company. And he's given a job and he's asked to complete it in five days. And they give it to him because they all felt that he was the one that will be able to give them uh, the, the work done and at a high quality. Now, this client who came to see me and he said, you know, I am not able to function until I get it done. So I can't sleep, I can't eat well, and I have got to get it done. So I asked him, this project, was it, oh yeah, it, it happened last week. And I said, did you finish it on time? Yes, I finished it in three days. I said, why in three days? Because until I finish it, I'm unable to do anything else. I will not be able to sleep. I will not be able to even function. So I had to go to complete it. And since I completed it, I just submitted it. I said, were you the only one doing this work? He says, no, they were, I, just, I was just part of the other team. And what about the others? Well, they all had smaller roles and they all didn't finish. You know, uh, some of them finished it just a nick of time on five days. I said, so were you, were you the only one that finished it in three days? I said, yes, I was the only one that finished it in three days. Were other people given similar jobs? Now, we had other uh, departments who also had the same task, but it was just in a different area and nobody uh, could finish it on time. So I said, so you were the only one who, who finished it uh, ahead of time? And I said, yes, but you know, it's, it's only because, like I told you, I am not able to function if I don't finish it. I said, what if you don't finish it? I said, I just have this nagging feeling in the back of my head and it just, I just can't function. And I said to him, do you know that you are spoiling the market? Did you know that, uh, and I said, by the way, are they marking you as and, and someone who would be promoted? They said, yeah, they've already said, you know, they would like me to be promoted, you know, and, you know, my, my immediate head and says, yeah, you know, they said, yeah, you know, we really like you and, you know, and the way they're talking to me is, is like, I will be promoted in, in time. And this is a pretty large uh, company. And I said, over the many years, it is people like you who will be promoted. And when you get promoted, the only ones who will get promoted under you will be those who can perform the way you do. And therefore, over the years, people cannot function in a relaxed state. They can only function at a very, very high performing state. And this is the reason why so many large corporations over the years is just getting more and more difficult to get the job done because the expectations just keep going higher and higher because people like you will be promoted. And that's the danger. So I said to him, tell me about your history. He says, oh, you know, my whole history is about so being afraid of, of not being able to get things done. And I said, you know, who's the one that's pushing all the time? Oh, it's my father. You know, I, I remember a time he would put me into the, uh, you know, this dark room and I would cry and he would never let me out, you know, as, as, as uh, you know, it was a terrible emotional uh, trauma for me because I just didn't get my work done. Uh, it's also affecting my, my eating. So, you know, I, every time when we go out and the moment I feel that I cannot uh, finish the food, that's when my stomach gets the cramps 
and my father would punish me if I don't finish the food. There was once he was the one looking, I tried to throw my food away without him looking. He caught me and he gave me a beating so badly. And now, every time when I'm stressed, I can't eat. And therefore, because I cannot eat, I must finish my work. If I don't finish my work, I can't eat. So these are all some of the symptoms of the stress. Okay, so these are all some of the hidden background stories of people who perform. And because they perform so well, better than anyone else, they are promoted. This is something society must be aware of. This is something which all religions must beware of and look out very, very clearly that we have certain hidden dangers in our society. What is the developmental experience that makes a child so compulsively high-performing? What is the developmental experience that makes a child so quiet? What is the development experience that makes a child look odd or is unable to, to socialize? And here's the thing, many of these children are bullied in school. So if our religion as well as our educational system will deepen this diversity awareness. In other words, it has to begin by an openness to know what makes a person the way he is or she is. And we should always be open to what is the developmental experience that makes a person the way they are, the way they behave, the way they are compulsively so afraid of failure. That is so crucial. Now, let me use an analogy of physical poverty. I think all religions, we teach that we do not look down on someone who is physically poor, who is physically unable to afford good clothing, who is physically unable to afford food, physically unable to afford housing. Do we look down on them? No, we don't. We should also go a little step further. We should never look down on someone who is developmentally poor, through no fault of theirs. Their developmental experience, their psychological and familial developmental health is not good because through no fault of theirs, their family's home situation is just not high enough. And I think this neglect has been going on for a long time and for some families it goes on for generations upon generations that nobody pays attention. And the other thing we should do is to do away with stigma. The stigma of why is this person weird? Why is this person uh, keeping to himself? Why is this person um, you know, so high performing or... or whatever that may be. We should always be open to understand the developmental experience that makes a person who she is or who he is. Now, at that level, I think this is where every religion can play a role. And this is where 
even in our Christian faith, where we have the scriptures through the Psalms that says, even if a mother would neglect you, I, God, will never, never neglect you. And we should reflect that in our community. And we need to emphasize a little bit more in the bigger family of the church. I'm talking about the family of the community. That means a father figure, a mother figure. You know, in our Catholic uh, nomenclature, we, we call the priest father, we call the sister, you know, a nun a sister or a religious a brother. That shouldn't be a title. It really should mean a father figure, a mother figure, a sister, a brother, because not everybody are lucky to have a healthy family unit. So, so important that we need to have this understanding and uh, develop this family atmosphere in our church community. And then to have this awareness, and from this awareness, we pay more attention to why some people are unable to perform and why some people are overperforming, are compulsively performing. And then we need to pay attention into how we can bring this person down. We can say to this person, you know, you don't need to overperform. You don't need to do this. You don't need to do that. Now, let me close this um, little lecture that I'm giving about what is the role of the church. And I remembered um, one of the clergy members who was giving this talk. He says, the church exists for the people outside the church. It doesn't exist for only its members. If it does so, it is just too insular. And I agree with that. What do we do as Christians in society? What do we do as Christians in places where the priest cannot go to? So what if you are a police, you're a soldier, or you're holding some positions of power and authority in places where the members of the church cannot go in? I think if you can be a Christian that brings these awareness into your work, into the way you deal with other people, into the way in which you understand their developmental backgrounds that makes them what they are. So understanding why some people are unable to perform as well as why some people have a compulsion to overperform. And then we set the targets and we set the objectives appropriately. And when I say appropriately, it must not, and I say again, it must not be only and solely on profits. As Christians or any other members of other religions, we should look at our purpose here on earth in a holistic manner. So let's talk about sustainability, let's talk about not wasting food, not wasting um, resources and not just making money but having this sustainable way in which 
people are appreciated for who they really are. So I hope you, you now have an idea and, and a sense of how important our role as Christians in society and what are the trickle-down effects. If we neglect it, it can have tremendous negative effects over the generations. But if we pay attention to what's really, really important, what our awareness of development is, then I think we can do quite a lot to reverse the damaging trends that has come over the last few generations or the last few decades. So thank you for listening to uh, what I've just uh, shared with all of you. That's great. Well, thank you very much, Brian. I think I fully agree with you that uh, the, uh, of the need to really recognize the intrinsic dignity and worth of every human person, uh, regardless of uh, social status, regardless of uh, intellectual um, abilities or physical abilities. Certainly, I think, um, for example, in our um, Catholic religion, we, we are fully cognizant of uh, how being made in image and likeness of God and inherent dignity that all of us have from the moment of conception to the point of natural death. And it is so important that we must recognize uh, the beauty of each and every person made in image and likeness of God. Um, it is interesting that um, you mentioned that the, the high-performing uh, individuals uh, in society who perhaps are where they are because of the um, conditioning that they underwent uh, as children and possibly some of which may have been very negative and that so-called rubs off on others around them. I'm just wondering for colleagues and subordinates who might be affected by these individuals and therefore may feel the pressure even though they may have been brought up in a totally different environment uh, but now being in this environment with a high-performing boss who expects the same of them uh, but they are they have been brought up with a different, very different mentality how can they address the situation um, without being stressed out without having to conform so to speak what can we say to them or how can we help them well <clears throat> Um, there are two general approaches that, that we can um, use. So let me give an example of this particular client that I had that I just spoke about. He is pushed by his emotions to perform. What do I mean by that? So when he's been given a task and he doesn't feel you know, he, when he has not completed a task, it is this emotional feel that unless I complete the job, unless I get it finished done, I can't function. So it, that, his ability to finish and, and do the job is emotionally based. And that's what we should not be doing because we as humans, we have the thinking brain. So I had to guide him and said, look at every day, how many hours do you need to sleep? And he says, actually, you know, uh, I've not been sleeping very well. In fact, every time when I have a task, I can't sleep. And therefore, instead of sleeping, I, I only, I just do the job and say, okay, in those times, how many hours do you sleep? And I only sleep about four hours. I said, four hours for a, for a young adult like you, and he's only in his 20s, that's not healthy at all. He says, yeah, you know, I, um, there was a time I even lost my hair and I couldn't eat and, and 
you know, I have painful ulcers and, and all of that. It's not healthy. Okay? I said, when you are, let's say, having, uh, uh, you, you take off, you know, and you have some holidays, how many hours do you sleep? I says, oh, I can easily sleep eight, nine hours. I said, for an adult minimum, eight hours. So, put in how much you need to have a healthy sleep, how much hours you need for, you know, you're, you're taking a shower, traveling, okay. And then other things, put it all in first, those are the important things. And then how much time do you have for work? And if you're given a task, ask, how many days are, are you given? Okay, look, if, it's, if you're given five days, look at the amount of times per day you have, and then you times the amount of uh, days you have. So if, let's say, you have three hours times five, so you have 15 hours. Look at the task that's given to you. Would 15 hours be enough? And the answer is no. Tell the boss. I don't have enough. Or if it is enough, fit it in. And don't ask for less time. <laughs> okay? So for example, if the task uh, requires eight hours of continuous work, and you know you have in five days, you have 15 hours, spread it out in five days. Why? Because that spare time, you can use it for something else. You can use it for time with your family, you can use it for reading up, you can use it for so many other things. You could also use it for maybe another task that may come along. So always spread it out because you always have to remember there are other people who are given the same task in the same time frame and you don't want to spoil the market. Now, when you have done that three hours per day, you know cognitively you have done your work you have done what is allocated to you, and that is all cognitively known, you know that you can put aside your emotions and go to sleep. Add on a little more. You can say your prayers. You can say to the Lord, Lord, I have dedicated these three hours to the job that I've done. Now I leave everything in your hands as I go to sleep, as our night prayers is is what we are saying you know as part of our night prayers and have your good sleep every night and that is one way so it's a cognitive way of planning out so that you are transferring the emotionally based push into a cognitively based planning out and you know you are doing it you're doing the work and you know at this rate you will finish so that's one way now there is another one and that is by the way this should be the way that you would deal with it but i know there are some companies that they will give you jobs in possible time frames and they expect you to not sleep but you have to complete it within one or two days of whatever the reasons that may be now if it is if it is unreasonable well Tell them that you can't complete on time. And if they say, if you don't complete, we will not promote you, then take the demotion. Why am I saying this? Is because you cannot allow a bad culture to proliferate. Because if you give in, then you entrench that bad culture 
of expecting people to do it and if you don't do it I will not promote you and then you allow that bad culture to proliferate you are really spoiling that career and I know of so many particularly in large corporations bad environments the culture just gets very spoiled because they always hold this stick you don't give it to us we will give you a bad report and you will not be promoted I will say to you then take the demotion if necessary get out of there and you now start your own company your own way of doing things in a way that is sustainable not just physically but psychologically as well as respecting the intrinsic value of each person so these are the two sides one is the way in which you plan and you spread things out and the other one is when things get very unreasonable don't allow the push for a bad culture to proliferate so that would be my stand and one way of allowing you to have that ability to do it is please do not strive for an expensive luxurious lifestyle in all the religions there's always this preference for a simple uh, lifestyle that is not expensive and don't forget that the more you are able to live a happy life that is clean and, and simple and, and orderly the more you are able to share that lifestyle with other people who may not be able to afford an expensive lifestyle so it is a lifestyle that can be shared with happiness and not only that that lifestyle gives you that ability to say no when someone pushes you and says you don't give it to me I will not promote you then you make a move yes you sound very much like Saint Mother Teresa but but I uh, cannot agree with you more there's such an important thing to number one incorporate prayer into our lives to uh, listen to the Lord spend time with him and let him tell us what he wants for us rather than let others in society tell us what they want of us all right and I think that is a very important point that all of us often forget and it's so important especially for um, parents to um, not just practice but to really inculcate in their children the need to follow God's plan rather than their own uh, the other one that, that struck me was blessed are the poor to be poor in spirit to be totally detached from the material parts of the world and to really rely everything on God uh, with the full knowledge that he will take care of us as long as we correspond to his plan uh, seek out his will and seek what he wants us to do he will make sure things will turn out fine for us and yet, uh, especially, I'm just uh, curious though, at this uh, time, especially brought about by the uh, COVID-19 crisis and the economy is not good, finding a job or making, uh, coming up with a new company might also be challenging. It will take a lot of courage for a person to um, not just take a demotion, but possibly even to come out with a company, which will be rather contrary to the culture that uh, he would want to espouse and start up a new one or to to look for another one that would take a lot a lot of courage uh, during these times <laughs> yes definitely so um, I am aware that some people have no choice but to make a drastic shift 
in their careers. Um, and some people are not so drastically pushed to that corner, but if they do make a decision to change, it will take quite a bit to change. I would um, suggest that you give these, what, what I've just said about you know the culture, the work culture, give it some real, real good thought with prayer and meditation and, and discernment. And choose, this is an opportunity with this COVID-19, it's an opportunity to choose a career that really makes sense to you, that really helps you. Now, here's the other thing that I've, I've been doing as part of my work. Um, I've, asked, I've been asked quite a number of times to um, not just see if there can be some um, possible problems in the future, but whether the person is on the right career track. But some of them will have certain risks, and that depends on their developmental experiences. So for example, someone who has been verbally abused, uh, physically abused, or even sexually abused, and these have never been addressed, but all these unresolved issues will put them at risk. So this is a work that is increasingly in demand. I'm advocating that the same work be done for those who want to get married. Because I don't think any parent want to intentionally be a bad parent. Certainly. But when it does happen, who knows? When it does happen, who are the ones who have no voice, who have no power because the parents are the ones that's holding the power? And it's the children that suffer. And because they have no other way except to introject what you push down on them, that's why the problem goes from one generation to the next, to the next, to the next. So, what I'm saying is that um, for those parents in, in which um, you understand what I'm saying, let's take the step to reduce the stigma of doing a psychological profiling for yourself. As much as there is no stigma in doing a medical check for yourself. Today, uh, there is such a thing called preventive medicine in which they do a thorough check not only of what you are right now but also your history, your family's history and they can point out to you where are your uh, risk factors in terms of your medical uh, histories. We can do the same for your psychological and your uh, you know, background histories. You know. We can do the same things and these can help guide you choose the right career the right directions to choose for your next job that you want to do. Get to know yourself even more and choose something that really goes in line with who you are and what really, really gives you the passion to do the work that will serve society and, and everybody. Yeah, well, since we are on this topic of uh, discerning a career path or rather a vocation in life, uh, perhaps I'm just wondering, uh, whether you could actually give us some tips as to how a person could 
uh, discern what would be the right vocation for him or her in, in the life and especially uh, for those who perhaps might be contemplating a mid-career change uh, which will be a very drastic uh, move uh, which some, in fact, I think many are considering um, given the uh, changing circumstances in uh, society and uh, the changing conditions that we are facing um, but at the same time, they are perhaps facing these challenges when their children are in most need of them or in most need of the uh, uh, stable financial situation back home. So perhaps would you be able to share with us some tips as to how uh, such individuals might be able to discern their vocation well? Let me um, begin by taking a step back a little bit more. Um, in general, those who are in a career not because they choose but because they are trying to live up to somebody's expectations of them so for example someone who chooses to become a doctor but actually that person does not want to be a doctor or someone chooses to go into engineering but i don't really want to be an engineer or a lawyer it doesn't really matter these are the ones who will reach their midlife crisis faster than anyone else yes and burnout and everything okay initially initially when they succeed in becoming a doctor a lawyer you know everybody cheers them and for the first few years or even 10 years everything is fine but once the cheering dies down and that will bring them to around their 40s that's when they feel it is just not rewarding anymore Okay, so that's what I want to say. In general, if you didn't really discern well from the very beginning, you will have this problem in the end. But it's not just being pushed into a direction that you want. But sometimes your perception of what you think life is, uh, is supposed to be rewarding. Money, status, you think. No one pushes you. But that's the mantra that the society tells you and you follow that. You can still end up into this sense of meaninglessness maybe a little later maybe in the late 40s or in 50s and of course sometimes some people uh, everything is going fine and you you hit with a, a crisis an accident that also can push you and I think all these times in which you feel that, you know, what, what's it all about? What's life all about? Crisis that happens, so that includes the COVID-19, are all opportunities, really, to look clearly into your life, get, not just yourself, but get someone, um, not just one person, but, you know, a few other people who can reflect, those who care about you, those whom you know, I will be people that who can uh, guide you so it can be yes it can be a counselor yes it can be a very good friend it can be a very good relative or even a parent and of course you can have a spiritual uh, director a spiritual counselor I guess, I guess for our listeners uh, it would particularly refer to the spouse as well remember we said the wife is always right <laughs> and the other thing is also the humility to listen to feedback that is so 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 crucial um, and sometimes, this is something which I, I've seen also, sometimes people who get angry with you, things, people who don't care about you and throw back the truth at you. There's also something to be learned there, really. 
and if it's too painful, if it's too difficult, well, you speak to your spouse, speak to somebody that you can, well, this incident happened. What is my contribution to what occurred? What is my contribution to the problem? And you could learn quite a number of things. Uh, take your time to gather all these feedback from different, different people. I think counselors who are able to look back in your history, especially those who are psychodynamically trained, they will be able to give you a little bit more insight into your developmental experiences that makes you the way you are. And that can be very helpful because to be aware of your tendencies, to be aware of your attachment styles, for example, which we spoke about in the early episodes, these can all be helpful in guiding you to make a decisions on to what is the next career, what is the next uh, step that I can do for uh, the remainder of my life. Right. As for those who are really seriously contemplating a change of um, career or change of vocation or for younger people who are choosing their vocation in life, what are the some of the factors, let's say if somebody were to come to you and say, you know, um, Brian, how um, I'm thinking of um, a career choice right now, what are the factors you would ask the person to consider uh, in choosing, in influencing the choice of vocation that he or she would choose? Well, um, the first thing I will do is I'll, I'll give the person a, a personality profile questionnaire and based on that profile, um, I will give a debrief. Well, well, you know, this results of the questionnaire that you've done tells me that you are very independent or you're very dependent. Um, you like to be uh, sociable or you don't like to be sociable. So you can have this whole range of, of parameters. And based on that, then we can have a few options. I'll give you an example. I have this girl who, she was in religious training, you know, she was supposed to be uh, training towards the, uh, one of the Catholic orders, yeah. And the person who was training her was complaining that she was so quiet, um, she tends to withdraw, uh, she, she's not very engaging. But in, in academics, she, she does fine, she's fine, you know, giving her work to do, she can do it and everything. And so they were not very clear about whether they should allow her because they said, no, as a religious, you know, you're supposed to be able to engage with people and, and, and all of that. So we did this um, personality profiling. Yes, yes, right. And what we found was that this particular girl didn't like um, confrontations. It was because of her background. And on the other hand, she always looks towards a kind of a peacemaking solution. How do we resolve issues? And that was what we found was something that really caught her attention all the time. And that's because in her family, there were so many disputes, there were so many quarrels, even though they were not violent, but emotionally it was very upsetting to her. And that also explains her quiet demeanor, but it does not mean that she was not listening. She was actually listening very, very intently. 
And one of the things that, that we spoke, myself and this girl, um, what are the kind of work that you'll be happy with, what you like to do? And she says, no, I don't want to be the, the person who is doing all this uh, you know, on the stage and performing and all that. So when I said to her, what about the role of a peacemaker? And she says, is there such a job? I said, yes, they are professional mediators. And there's, there's a course, it's not available in Singapore, but there are courses in Europe where they do train people to be professional mediators. And I think uh, the Catholic Church also plays a very important role. So, for example, uh, America and Cuba, where they re-establish ties, the Vatican was very, very much involved in, in this work of mediation. So it is very much an important work. And her eyes lit it up and she says, that sounds like the kind of work that I really, really would be interested in. So I told that to the formator. And I asked the formator, would such a role be something that your congregation would be interested in? And I said, yes, we would be very interested. But we just never thought that, you know, uh, we have someone who, who, who is interested in this. I said, well, okay, now you know, you have someone. And from what I was told, you know, a few years later, she's doing very well. Excellent. Excellent. Thank God. <laughs> this gives you an idea of when you know the person's background and what drives the person, sometimes you can actually find something that really fits them very well. So this is just one example. That, that, that's really wonderful. But sometimes perhaps even the situations in the office can perhaps... Uh, be God's way of um, directing us to another direction in life. In a, I'm reminded of my, my wife's uh, uh, past in the office when the, all these uh, things actually came about and there are such unrealistic and high expectations uh, put on her and to the point whereby um, she was unable to give um, adequate time to the children at home. And um, after a lot of consideration, she finally decided that that was it. She was. She was going to give up that job. It was not easy, having been in the workforce for so many years, but she decided that the children were more important. So she decided to call it quits and come up, but it was not easy. Um, it took a long time to get over it because the change from being a, a working mother to a stay-at-home mother was huge. There were so many differences uh, in the lifestyle that we had, so to speak, right? And even the children were uh, quite... Um, uh, curious as to why they couldn't buy as many things as they used to but what they did appreciate was that they had more time with mummy mm. right and that was in a sense that compensated more than anything else and they were so happy that the mummy could be at home with them and um, I, I myself could see them grow and flourish so beautifully my, uh, after my wife made that decision to uh, stay at home and be with them. It was difficult initially. It was very difficult. Psychologically, emotionally, it was tough. And she, she really needed to go through a lot of soul-searching, reflection and prayer to really be convinced that this was the path that God wanted her to be in. So today, um, being happy grandparents, uh, she now has never... Uh, she, she now absolutely does not regret the decision she made that many years ago. Yes, I... You know, in, in, in line with the topic that we're talking today, and that is how can we help society move in the correct direction? Now, 
I know that there are some office environments, some cultures in, in, in the work uh, place where they have this kind of a unspoken mantra, your private life, your family life is your private stuff, I don't want to know about it. You have a task, I give you the task, you give it to me or not. I don't think that is good. I think it's very important that companies, uh, organizations, we must also have a certain amount of understanding of our workers. But how do we do that without crossing into something that is private and confidential? So when someone tells you something private and confidential, what do you do with it? I think this is where, let's begin with the family. If a child tells something private and confidential to the parent, and if the parent does not keep that private and confidential, the child will never tell the parent something private and confidential again. You bet, you bet. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. So it begins with when someone tells you something private and confidential, you keep that private and confidential. And if you think someone else needs to know, you ask permission. If the person doesn't give you permission, don't say anything. That is so crucial in developing trust. That's number one. Secondly, in developing the awareness of what's going on behind that person. Because that kind of awareness literally fine-tunes your manpower management fine-tunes your manpower policies over time until you have that openness and that avenue in which you will, people in working for you trust you to tell you what are they struggling with, then you can shape your manpower policies properly and appropriately. I know of companies in which the turnover of manpower is just so high because they don't want to have this kind of awareness. And when you have a very high turnover, you never build up the expertise over time. So it would seem that such change in policies will not just benefit the employees themselves who will have this, in a sense, the burden of unrealistic expectations removed from them, but it would actually through a proper analysis and understanding of the employees' uh, backgrounds and situations and gifts and talents, they would be able to tap them in an appropriate way and in so doing, and without putting extra unrealistic expectations and pressures on them, the company actually benefits from even better performances from the employees themselves. Yes, yes. I'm very, very, very confident that when you do what is right, your company, your job will be sustainable for the long-term good of everybody else. Right, right. I can, I can never disagree with that. In fact, uh, what you have just said seems to, would remind me of what St. John Paul II said, that the human person must be at the center of every ethical analysis, um, by which he really meant that in every decision we make, uh, we must make the person at the center of that decision that it must benefit the person in a holistic way 
and not use that person as an instrument or a digit to serve other purposes like profits. So right. And I think it really um, helps us to, in a way, round off this session very well by helping us really understand better. For example, for those who are listening in as parents, what are the decisions that we would like to make in order to have a good work-life balance for ourselves? So I think it has been a very good way of, in a way, rounding up this whole thing, Brian. Yeah, and this episode has been very useful. Thank you, John, for giving me this opportunity to share uh, on this topic. Thank you very much, Brian. So we'll be going on to the next topic next week. Take care then. Till then. God bless. Bye-bye.